Would you turn your Bible, please, to Psalm 142, verse 4? Psalm 142, verse 4. David, David was being pursued by Saul, and he said on one occasion, one day I will die at the hand of Saul. He had to hide in caves and under trees and various places. God had chosen him to become the next king in Israel. And in this particular passage, we quote him as saying, I stood on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Today we're living in an age when men think mostly of themselves. Very few take seriously the fact related in Genesis that we are our brother's keeper. We go up and down the land and find men and women afraid. They're afraid to live, they're afraid to die. They look all around and they feel like no one really cares. They're lost in the crowd in the sea of humanity. And no one cares. Years ago, I was in a revival meeting with my brother Roger in Leroy, Alabama. He had told me about a man, a Mr. Powell, that we were going out to see, who had been a murderer. He had spent his, most of his life in prison and had been released. And we were going to go see him. And uh, Brother Roger had been praying for him to be saved. Well, we went out the road and up came a man mounted on a horse with guns on his, on his waist. And uh, we stopped him. And immediately, Brother Roger recognized him as Mr. Powell, Mark Powell. He got off the horse. We talked to him a little while. And I said, Mark, we've been praying for you, and I want to tell you God loves you. There's evidence in the scripture that God is able to overcome a past. He has forgiven murderers and rapists and all kinds of people. And the man said, no, God could never forgive me. I can't even forgive myself. I've spent all my life in prison for a terrible thing I did. We opened the scripture and read how God loves sinful men. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. After a little while, we all got down on our knees and Mark, at the foot of his horse, Gave his heart to Jesus. Came to church the next, Sunday, the next day at the revival. Professed his faith in Christ. And Roger baptized him. He lived for the Lord during the next five years until he died. This is an illustration of how God can overcome a man's past. We do not have to live under the circumstances. That man had said, since I came back from prison, no one would know me. You're the first men that have spoken to me since I've been out. 
I didn't think anybody cared. When I was in the seminary in Louisville, I worked downtown and I would see a man on the street, his name was Henry, an unkempt man, unshaven, old clothes. I was in a department store one day and I heard him say to the lady that was waiting on him, nobody will miss me when I'm gone. It doesn't make any difference whether I live or die. A few weeks later, I learned that he died. One person attended his funeral, just one. There are people all around us that have no one that cares. They look on their right hand and left and their refuge fails them. They cry out from their soul, no one cares whether I live or die. Years ago, I worked with the Home Mission Board in Washington, state of Washington. We were starting a church in a public school building. And on the way that morning, we were holding a Bible school in beginning the church. And I saw an Oriental boy selling newspapers. I stopped and bought a newspaper, and then I said to him, I'd like for you to come to our Bible school. The other boy said, Mr., what's a Bible school? I said, well, that's where we study about Jesus and how to go to heaven. And that little boy looked into my heart, and he said, Mr., who is Jesus? I was in a revival meeting in a little town over on the Ohio River here in Kentucky. In the afternoon, we were out visiting. In the backyard were kids playing, and you know how kids can dirt, get dirty when they play. And this little fellow didn't have any shoes on, didn't have any shirt on. His name was Bernie. I heard him call his name. I called him aside, and I said, Bernie, I'd like for you to come to the revival meeting tonight with us over at the church, the Baptist church. That little boy said, Mr., what's a revival meeting? Well, I said, that's where we study about Jesus and how to go to heaven. And that little fella right here in Kentucky said, Mr., who is Jesus? When I was a student at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee, I served a church in Savannah. And we were having a revival meeting at the mission, out at Pickwick Mission. And in the afternoon, I went out and invited people to come, knocked on a certain door, and a lady about 23 came to the door. I said, I'd like to come in and talk to you about Jesus. She said, Mr., I'm not interested in Jesus. You can come in, but I'm not going to come. Well, I went in, sat down, tried to open my Bible and show her some things out of the Bible. She just was not interested at all. Finally, she said, you can leave now. I'm not coming. I'm not even interested. As I got ready to walk out the door, she said, but if you could get the meanest woman in this town to come, I might come. Well, I said, who is the meanest woman in this town? She said, she's my mother-in-law. If you can get her to come, I'll come. Well, she told me where she lived. I drove down that old road, found the house, looked at it, hadn't been painted for 40 years. Got up, walked up, knocked on the door. A little crack came to the door. And I said, I'm Richard Oldham from the Baptist Church. Bang, went the door right in my face. Stood there a few minutes and left. Later in the winter, I drove by that place again. 
and the Lord told me to go in. I got up and knocked on the door, and that same little little uh, uh, crack came in the door, and old wrinkled face looked out at me, and I said, my name is Richard Oldham. She started to slam the door, but I put my hand and my foot in the door. And she just went over and sat down behind a hot belt, pot-bellied stove, and I pushed the door open, went back, pulled up a chair, and sat down beside her. I put my Bible out in my lap, and I tried to tell her everything I knew about Jesus and how God had changed me, what he could do for her. She just looked at that stove, didn't say a word, just looked, looking down at the stove. Not one word. Finally, I got down on my knees and prayed for her, got up and left, closed the door and left. But I prayed for her. Spring came and I drove out that road and I saw her sitting in the swing in the front porch. I got up, ran up on the porch before she could get in the house, sat down in the swing beside her and put my Bible right in her lap. I put my arm around her. I said, Miss Williams, God loves you. And I love you. And I want to see you know Jesus. He can change your life. And I showed her from the Bible how to be saved. In a few moments, a tear came down and found its way on my Bible. In just a little while, old Nettie Williams, who had lived 83 years for the devil, gave her heart to Jesus. Had the privilege of baptizing her. Went on by this time, the next year I was in the seminary, and I got a phone call that Nettie Williams had died. She had requested that I come to her funeral and help her and conduct her funeral. Well, I went. Somewhere I have a letter from her after she got saved telling how glad she was Jesus had changed her. I went down to the funeral, got in the church. It was packed and jammed. There were people everywhere. And they told me Nettie Williams only had a year to live for Christ, but she lived that year dynamically, and it influenced all of Savannah. At that funeral, her grandson got saved, and another one surrendered to preach. And he's been preaching down in Hardin County, Tennessee, since then. Now, this is an old lady that thought nobody cared. She was a mean woman. You know any mean people? mean, ugly, honorary, but God changed her. And I'm here to tell you today, God can help us overcome our past. We do not have to live under the circumstances, and we need to reach out and care for people who have no one that cares. Have you ever almost sunk beneath the load of your burden of responsibility and cares and felt like you didn't have anybody to help you? You just think of sinking down in the awful abyss of sin and nobody there to help you get up. That's the way lots of folks are. Over in England, out in the country churchyard, there's a little unmarked grave. An English poet stood beside that grave one day and wrote these words, perhaps in this neglected spot is laid some heart once pregnant with celestial fire. Hands at the rod of empire might have swayed or waked to ecstasy the living liar. What was he saying? He was saying buried here and in the graves around the country and out here in Warren County and Bowling Green, 
are men and women lying in their graves who could have been somebody for God had someone gotten to them. Whenever I read the obituary column in the paper, my heart is convicted. Many of them I've never witnessed to. Some of them I have. And all of us are aware of folks dying without faith in Christ. It's a terrible thing to be lost. Awful thing to be lost. You imagine being lost in a crowd. You imagine being lost on a lonely road deep in the night. It's an awful thing to be lost. And people are lost all around us. I wonder if anybody cares about lost people. Do we really care? The pleasure-mad throng don't care. Those that guzzle their beer and drink their whiskey at home, they don't care whether men live or die, go to heaven or hell. Those that spend all day Sunday coasting down the river, they don't care whether anybody lives or dies, goes to heaven or hell. The crowd that sits at home on Sunday night while their preacher is preaching his heart out for souls, they don't really care. They're sitting before the God of a television. They don't care whether men live or die, go to heaven or go to hell. Who does care? I'm going to tell you our church has to care. God has put Glendale Baptist Church in the heart of Bowling Green, Kentucky. And in the years past and in the years to come, we must care for the lost. Weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus the mighty to save. Well, I'll tell you, there are some people who care. I brought this message a number of times through the years. I never tire of preaching it because it never tires of its meaning. The Bible says that God cares over the souls of men. The Bible says in the beginning, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he them, male and female created he them. There was nothing to mar the image of God. There was innocence and purity and perfection. And then Satan came on the scene and tempted Eve and Eve tempted Adam and together they went into sin. And the Bible says in Romans 5:12, for as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin, so life can come through Christ. Well, this book says the wages of sin is death. That's never been altered. The soul that sinneth it shall die. And when man sinned, the devil came before God and said, I demand justice. The soul that sinneth it shall die. It's time for that man to die. There's an old Jewish tradition, a legend that says when God got ready to make man, an angel of truth came before the throne of God and said, God create man not, for when thou hast created him, his mouth will be filled with lies and hypocrisies. And the angel of purity came and said, don't create man, for when you've created him, his whole body will be filled with immorality and impurity. But the angel of mercy came and said, O God, create man, for when thou hast created him and his mouth is filled with lies and his life is filled with impurity, I'll go and take him by the hand and take you by the hand and place you together, personifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Man deserved death. God gave life through Christ. God cares over the souls of men. Secondly, the Bible says that the Son of God cares. Jesus cares. Now, you and I may not care, but God does. You and I may not care, but Jesus does. And when Jesus comes to live in our lives, he puts something in us that cares about the souls of people. How much does Jesus care? Well, he left the glory of heaven 
to come and down a cross for your sins, your sins, your sins, my sins. Jesus, the Son of God, came to die on an old rugged cross for us. I'd like to bring the founders of some of the religions to this pulpit tonight and say to them, tell us how much you love. I'd like to bring Buddha or Confucius or Mohammed and the others and tell us, tell us what you did to help people who were dying and lost. Some would say, well, I gave them a good philosophy to live by. Some would say, well, I went out and killed those that wouldn't come under my hammer and sickle or I'm under my crescent moon. But you bring Jesus here and Jesus said, I love you and I died for your sins. I'd like to find some of the people who knew Jesus in the days of his flesh. There was a woman taken in adultery. They dragged her to Jesus and threw her down and the Pharisees and scribes said that she ought to be stoned. Moses in his law said she should be stoned. What do you say? And Jesus stooped down and wrote in the sand. I don't know what he wrote. Maybe he wrote the dirt that was on their hearts. Maybe he wrote the Ten Commandments. I don't know what he wrote. But he stood up and said, Let him that is without sin cast the first stone. And then he knelt down and wrote again. And when he stood up, they were all gone. And he said to the woman, Where are your accusers? And she said, No man, Lord. And the Lord said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And that moment that woman was freed and forgiven and cleansed. And she went out to live a godly life. I'd like to find that thief that died on the cross next to Jesus. There were two thieves. One of them cried out, if you're really the Christ, come down from the cross and save yourself and us. Blaspheming the Lord. The other one cried out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This was a prayer of humility. A prayer of recognition that he needed something he didn't have. And the Lord said to that man at the eleventh hour, This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. I want you to notice he didn't have time to get baptized. He didn't have time to join the right church. He didn't have time to prove to everybody he was living a godly life. He died. But according to Jesus, he was with the Lord in paradise because he reached out in faith. That's how much Jesus cared. Safe were the ninety and nine in the fold, safe though the night was stormy and cold. But said the shepherd when counting the more, one sheep is missing. There should be one more. The shepherd went out to search for his sheep. And all through the night on the rocky steep he sought till he found him. With love bands he bound him, and I was that one lost sheep. I deserved death, but Jesus lifted me from the sinking sand. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. And then the master lifted me. He'll do the same thing for you. He'll do it for others if you tell them. Then this book says not only does God the Father care and Jesus the Son care, but the Holy Spirit cares. Over in the book of John, chapter 16, and when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because you believe not on me of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit is like the hound of heaven. He comes after us over and over and over and over, even when we resist him. 
I want to demonstrate that to you. How many of you in this room today, in the choir and in the auditorium, how many of you the very first time you heard about the gospel of Christ, you heard that Jesus would save you, the very first time the Spirit of God convicted you, you gave your heart to Christ. Lift your hand. One, two, three, four, five. How many of you would have to say like I would, he stood at my heart's door amid sunshine and rain and patiently waited an entrance to gain. What shame that so long he entreated in vain, but now he is precious to me. Would you say that? Many of us. You know why he gave us a second chance? Because he loved us. You know why we need to go again and again and again to those who reject Christ? Because God loves them. We are God's vehicle to go and tell them. You've heard me tell the stories of knocking on doors, people slamming the door in the face. I go back again and again and again. One particular lady that lived in this neighborhood told me she wasn't even interested. She'd never come. One morning, I saw her walk in the church here. And the invitation was given. She walked down the aisle giving her heart to Christ. I remember another man. I'd been to see him over and over and over again. I took every evangelist we ever had to see him. He'd always say, I'm not ready, not ready, not ready. He came to service, sat right back there one morning. When the invitation was given, I saw him stand up, and I thought he was going out. He'd done that many times before. But instead, he started walking down this aisle. And oh, what a day of rejoicing it was when that man gave his heart to Christ. He's in heaven now. The Holy Spirit cares over the souls of men. I know not by what methods rare, but this I know God answers prayer. And when we pray, and we keep on praying, and we're concerned, and we go and keep on going, God honors it. This book says there's some other group that cares. I don't understand it. I can't explain it. But in Luke chapter 16, it says, In hell, that man lifted up his eyes, being in torment, he saw Abraham afar off, and he said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm tormented in these flames. And the voice came back from the other world, Son, remember, in your lifetime you had the opportunity. Now there's a great gulf fixed. Nobody can come from you to us, nor from us to you. And that man in hell said, But, but Father Abraham, I have five brothers back on earth. Go to them, send somebody from the dead to them, lest they come to this awful place of torment. And the voice from heaven said, they have Moses and the prophets, they have the Bible, the word of God, and though one rose from the dead, they'll still not believe. Jesus rose from the dead, and they still don't believe. But that man in hell cared. He cared enough to pray. He cared enough to call out to God, please send somebody to my brothers back on earth. How much do we care? Do you have anybody in your family that are lost? Do you try to reach them? Do you write them a letter? Do you call them on the phone? Do you sort of bother them a little bit about their lost condition? Inside, they look on their right hand and left and they cry out, no one really cares. This book says there's another group that care. In the 15th chapter of Luke, Jesus told the story about a man who lost some sheep. He went out and found the sheep that was lost. 
there was great rejoicing. And Jesus said, likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. More than over 99 just persons that need no repentance. Ladies and gentlemen, there's joy over in heaven when somebody gets saved. The people over in heaven care. I like to think of heaven like a great grandstand. In Hebrews chapter 12, seeing we're encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. This great grandstand over in heaven. And maybe from time to time God pulls back the veil and lets those in heaven see what's happening here. And maybe there's somebody over there who has prayed for a son or a daughter or a grandson or a granddaughter or a mother or daddy, somebody. And they're over there and God is saying, watch down there at Glendale Church, watch. They're going to give an invitation in a moment. Watch and see your son or your grandson or somebody come to Jesus. And all oh, the joy that takes place over there when somebody gets saved. There's joy in the presence of the angels of God. Ring the bells of heaven. There is joy today for a soul returning from the wild. See the Father meets him out upon the way, welcoming his weary, wandering child. Glory, glory, how the angels sing. Glory, glory, over there in heaven. There are loved ones in the glory whose dear forms we often miss. When we close our earthly story, will we join them in their bliss? One by one, their seats were emptied. One by one, they went away. Now the circle has been broken. It would be complete one day. You can picture happy gatherings in the fireside long ago. You think of tearful partings when they left you here below. Will the circle be unbroken by and by, by and by? D.L. Moody was closing a meeting in Chicago. At the close of the meeting, a man got up in the back and said, Sir, could I say a word before you close? He said, Sure, and came forward. Here's what he said. I lived at home with my mother and daddy. They were godly. They had Bible reading and prayer every night. They'd make me come and listen. I didn't like it at all. Then daddy got sick and died. And mother tried to get me to come and take daddy's place at the family altar, and I didn't want to do it. I left home. Went out to seek my job somewhere in Fortune. Then he said, one day I heard that mother was sick. I thought I'll go home and cheer my lonely mother's heart. But then the thought come, if I go home, I'll have to trust my mother's God. I'm not going to go. I didn't go. Then word came, if you want to see your mother again, you better come quickly. I got on the fastest transportation, went down to the little country church, country village, and walked out by the churchyard out to where Mother lived. I had to pass the cemetery where Daddy was buried. I thought I'd turn in and stand there a moment just in his honor. When I got there, looked down, I saw another freshly placed mound, and I knew that was Mother's grave. I was too late. I knelt there by my mother's grave and gave my heart to my mother's God. Then he said, if there's anyone here today who has someone who cares for you and prays for you, go quickly to Jesus while there's someone who cares. I want to ask you tonight, today, do you care? Do you care over people, your neighbors, your friends, your loved ones, people you know and people you don't know? 
You care whether they go to heaven or go to hell? Does our church care? We're in the process of a building program because we care. The Lord willing, we'll put a sign up there on Cave Mill Road that sign up point people to Jesus because we care. I want to ask you, do you really care? Do you care enough to become part of a church that's trying to do something? to blend your life with others who will pray, who will read the word, who will try to go after the lost. Let's close our eyes in prayer a moment. With our heads bowed and eyes closed. It's been with great concern that I brought this message this morning. Some of you who have been here a while know that I've preached it a number of times before. But I never get tired of preaching it because it speaks of how much God cares and how much we need to care. I want to ask if while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, is there anyone in this room today who is not positive you'd go to heaven if you died? You're not really sure of that. And you'd like to say, preacher, pray for me. I need Jesus. Could you just slip your hand up and hold it a minute? Anyone, anywhere. I need Christ. I'm not sure whether I'm saved or not. Anyone? All right, God bless you. Is there another? I'm not sure. Anyone else? Remain in prayer a moment. How many in this room know someone who is lost and you're praying for that person? You're praying for them even right now as we speak. Would you slip your hand and hold it? You're praying for that lost soul. God bless you. Just pray for them right now. I'm going to ask the organist and pianist to begin playing. For thee I am praying. I have a Savior in glory. I'm praying for you. In the church bulletin today, there's a little insert that has something to do with our witnessing in the year 2003. I'd like to ask you after the service to get that filled out. Put names on it that you're going to pray for. Put it in your Bible. Not something you turn in. Something to remind yourself of. And while we remain in prayer a moment, if you have someone on your heart for whom you're praying, and you're willing to try to speak to that one, I want to ask you to come to the altar and pray for them right now. Just get up from where you are and come and pray. God knows who's on your heart. This is a holy time, a sacred time. Your coming is a commitment to the Lord between you and God. I'm not taking your names or anything. Just between you and God, that to the best of your strength, you're going to try to witness to that person, pray for that person, try to bring them to church, get them under the Word of God. Our Father, 
We commit these names to thee right now. I don't know how many people are at the altar, but a lot of them. Each one with a name on his heart. Maybe somebody in the family, maybe a neighbor, maybe a friend, maybe somebody across the nation or across the world. You're hearing these prayers. I pray you'll give us the strength and the will to either write a letter, make a phone call, or go see them. Do what we can to let them know we care. We don't want them to be lost. We want them to be saved. I'm going to ask Brother Lloyd to come and sing that song, I Have a Savior. He's pleading in glory while we keep on praying. You may be here today and you'd like to come and give your life to the Lord in a new way, in a recommitment, or to come and say, I want to be saved, or I want to become part of this church by membership. You do what God tells you while we remain in prayer, seated and praying.